Peter said, um, in the middle of a kind of three-part mini-series within the series, it's a meta-series, um, in the, as we've been preaching through the book of Acts, uh, and we're in Acts 19 at the moment, Greg uh, read through the whole chapter with us uh, yesterday, introduced us to the city of Ephesus, uh, and we, we, are, we are camping here in, in, the, in the city of Ephesus for about, uh, so, so for these three weeks, and we're going to look at this church as an example of a, of a base church. And um, for the next two, uh, two weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at some of the characteristics of what we would call a base church. And people might think of a lot of different things when you say the word church today. I think a lot of people in the world, when you say the word church, they think straight away of a building, whether it's uh, a beautiful cathedral uh, uh, with stained glass windows and uh, amazing old architecture or a modern high-tech live events venue with all the bells and whistles. Or maybe, maybe they're thinking about uh, kind of a weekly program, something that you can attend uh, weekly and you can you know, also do little groups and you can uh, have your spiritual meet, needs met and you can grow into a, a better person. It's sort of a self-help thing. Uh, maybe some people think of churches like a charity organization, a community building organization, uh, or, or in some parts of the world, the church is like a megaphone for conservative politics or for liberal politics, depending on the church and depending on where you are in the world. And sadly, that's what the church has become in the eyes of many. Uh, and, and that's what happens when we take our cues and our um, direction from what the world sees in terms of what is relevant. But as we know, we need to be taking our direction and our cues from Scripture, from, from the Bible itself, from God's Word. And, and we know that our, our key theme uh, throughout this whole preaching series through the book of Acts, uh, we, we've taken from Matthew 16 where, where Jesus proclaims and He says, I will build my church. We want to take our definition from what Jesus is building and not what the world is looking for or trying to, sometimes even the church is trying to make itself relevant by going outside of what Jesus intended. And actually in that scripture in Matthew 16, when Jesus says, I will build my church, that's the first time that the word church is used in the New Testament. And that church, that word is translated church is the Greek word uh, ecclesia, which simply means uh, called out ones or the called out people. It was used um, to call a gathering of people together for some big announcement. Um, and, and that's the word that Jesus chooses to use to define his church. He's called us out and he's gathered us together. It's not about the building. It's not about the program. It's about the people. And it's about you and I. When we talk about the church, when we talk about Cornerstone Church gathering in multiple locations across the city, we're not talking about the venues. We're talking about us, me and you. We are the body of Christ and Jesus is our head. And he's called us out. He's elected us. He's saved us by his grace. And he's, he's taken people from every language, from every nation, from every uh, culture. If you have a look around here, this is miraculous. Every age group, every, every language, every background culture, like Kyle said, we would often not hang out with each other if we chose to do it ourselves, but Jesus has put us together, and that is part of what he does. He's called us out, 
And God does this through the gospel message of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And when these people, when we are gathered together and we are being sanctified and we are being changed by his spirit into the likeness of the one that we worship, uh, from one degree of glory to the next, that is what puts God's glory on display. The church is glorious, not because we are glorious, but because God is glorious. And that is exactly the picture that Paul later on gives to this church in Ephesus about um, what the church is. He, he writes to them in Ephesians chapter 3. And he's, he's talking about the, this mystery of God's plan that he's always had right from the beginning. He made this promise to Abraham, uh, and now this promise and this mystery has been revealed in, in Jesus Christ and in the gospel, and that was a plan to make a single body, a single people for himself from every tribe and tongue and nation, Jew and Gentile, and to build a church that glorifies his name for the whole earth. And then in verse 10, he says, so this is the plan, this is the mystery, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. And that verse still blows my mind. Like God could display his glory in so many different ways. I'm like, God, have you seen, have you seen us? Have you seen me? Have you seen your church? We, we're, we're messy. Why would you choose to display your glory through us? But that's God's plan. That's, that's the mystery uh, of, of God's plan, and, and that's what God is doing. We, we are called to something much higher than what, what the world often thinks and what we often think. We're called to together put the glory of God on display. That's, that's an amazing thing. That is the church that Jesus is building. And so I want to ask the question, what is a base church? That's what we're looking at these three weeks. And uh, Greg read this little definition. I've put it together on the on the board, um, it's this, a base church, as we see from scripture, is a generous church. It's a resourcing church. It has the great commission at its heart and it serves as an example. It's a church that has an apostolic impact as it trains and sends leaders and plants new churches wherever God leads. It's a church that doesn't exist for itself. It's a church that exists for others, and, and I wanna make a note here, base church does not equal big church. By this definition that we've just read, there are, there are many big churches that are not base churches, and there are many small churches that are base churches. It's not about size at all, it's about the heart. It's about not existing for our own benefit. It's about obeying the, the, the great commission, the call and the command that Jesus has given us to face outwards and impact our city, our nation, and the nations of the world with the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus. And as we look to scripture, there are, we could spot a couple of examples all the way through the book of Acts as we've gone through it. Um, a couple of examples would be the church in Jerusalem. Uh, it's an interesting example because it also contains a warning for us as a big church. Uh, they, they became a very big church very quickly. They went from 120 people gathered in an upper room, and at Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out. Peter gets up and he preaches, and 3,000 people are saved in a single day. That's massive church growth. Uh, by Acts 4, uh, Luke reports that there were 5,000 men, so maybe 10,000 plus men, women, and children, 
by Act 6, he starts using like, like vague words, like they were, they were, the disciples were multiplied. And by Acts 21, he's talking about there were many thousands in the church in Jerusalem. Luke just starts trying to keep count. And, and this is where I think the warning is for us. For the first seven chapters, though there was this explosive growth in the city, they were a big church, but they weren't a base church yet. They were the original church with those apostles that Jesus gave the Great Commission to, and he, and he, he instructed them very specifically. Acts 1.8, we know this verse very well. Wait for me in Jerusalem. Wait until there is power from on high, and then go. But it took them seven chapters and some violent persecution before they actually obeyed the Great Commission and they actually went. But when they did, they did. Uh, they sent people out. They sent Philip, they sent Peter, they sent Barnabas, they sent Silas, um, who all went on to influence the world with the gospel message and, and ultimately leading to the, the evangelization of the Gentiles, which is most of us, it's, it's you and me. So thank you for finally being obedient. Sending people is hard. That's difficult. It's what we do as base churches. And we've just uh, had Phil and Sam up here. Uh, we just heard from Ryan and Shannon last week. And uh, we just had them all together in our house for Aaron's birthday yesterday. And this is literal family. It's uh, Aaron's br uh, brother and sister. And, and we've seen them go. And, it, and it's, it's hard. It's difficult. It's so awesome having us all together. But that's what we are called to. That's the Great Commission. It's costly, but there's a world that needs to hear this gospel. Some other examples of base churches in Acts would be the church in Antioch. Uh, and they, they gave generously. They were a generous church. They heard a prophecy about a coming famine, and they were saying, we've got lots of brothers and sisters in the church in Jerusalem, and they're going to suffer. They, they, most of the community was poor, and so they took up a big collection, and they gave generously to the church in Jerusalem. And, and they, too, obeyed the Great Commission when the Holy Spirit spoke and said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas and send them to the work that I've called them. Later on, they send, they send John Mark as well, and they send Silas, who had just come to them as well. They send him on as well. The church in Philippi, a couple of weeks ago, we were, we were looking at that church. Paul writes them and he commends them. And he says, you are, were the church that partnered with me in giving and receiving, and he commends them for their generosity and for their partnership in the gospel. They existed for more than just themselves. The church in Thessalonica was another church we looked at recently. First uh, Thessalonians 1, verse 7 to 8, Paul writes to them, it says, you became an example. When you say an example, it's, it's this thing of a base church is not some churches, it's, the, it's, the, it's what churches are meant to be. It's an example of, of Jesus's church that he's building. He says, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So we not, don't need to say anything. And now we're looking at this particular church, this church in Ephesus. And we're using this particular church as an example because we have actually quite a lot of information about this church and what God was doing them from various places in the New Testament. We've got the chapter that we've just preached through, Acts 18, where Paul first land in Ephesus uh, on the return trip of his second apostolic trip. 
Uh, and then there's the current chapter that we've just been reading, Acts 19, uh, where Paul returns on his third journey, and he spends about two and a half years working and establishing the church there. Acts 20, in our next chapter, Paul uh, returns from his journey to Greece, and he calls the elders from that now established church to meet him at a place called Miletus, and he, and he, and he has a meeting with them, and we're going to look at that in quite a bit of detail in the next few weeks. Um, then there's Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. Uh, it's written from prison in Rome uh, about six to eight years after this, in about 60 AD. And then there's Paul's first and second letter to Timothy, it was probably written a few years after that, while Timothy was leading the church in Ephesus. And then finally, kind of the end of the Ephesian story that we have in, uh, at least in Scripture, in the New Testament, is in Revelation chapter 2. It's written by the Apostle John about 30 years after that, at around 90 AD. And that also carries, I think, an important warning for us today. So we're going to take these next two weeks we're going to take some of these sources together and we're going to learn what we can from this Ephesian church, some of the characteristics of what makes up a base church. We've got five headings that we're going to look at. And while we do that, I want to encourage you to ask yourself, is that the kind of church that I want to be a part of? Not to just receive, but to give where I'm integrated, where I'm functioning and I'm generously contributing for the display of God's glory to the world. So let's look at these characteristics. Five things, uh, we'll look at two of them today. A base church is one where Jesus is central. It's one where discipleship takes place. It's one where Jesus and the kingdom of God are preached and taught. It's a church that is filled with and operates in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is a church that has gospel impact, where, where the gospel is the transforming message of that community and of the society that it influences, and where the whole city and the whole region feels the impact of that gospel. So we'll do that. So first point this morning is number one, and I want to say the most important point, is that a base church is where Jesus is central, nothing else. Not a, not a social message, not, not a self-improvement message, but a message of Jesus Christ. Uh, in verse 4 and 5 of Acts chapter 19, the very first thing that Paul does with the 12 disciples that he meets there in Ephesus was to point them to Jesus and to baptize them into the name of Jesus. He knows that's the foundation. You can't build on anything else. Uh, this church was built on the ongoing revelation of Jesus, which is exactly what uh, Jesus said he would do uh, back in Matthew 16. I, re I referred to this verse earlier in verse 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, on this rock of your revelation that Jesus is not just a man, but he is the son of the living God, the Messiah, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is the foundation of the church that Jesus is building, that Jesus is the Messiah. 
He is the long-promised Savior, the Son of the living God, and the cornerstone of God's plan for the whole world. And there is only one cornerstone for the church. There's only one uh, person that we can take our measurements off, and that is Jesus. Later on in his ministry, Paul reinforces the same thing when he writes to the Ephesian church. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, he says, you are members of God's household. He, he pictures the church as a building built on the foundation of the apostles who preached and explained about what Jesus did and the prophets who prophesied about the Jesus that was to come. Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Jesus is central and he is foundational in everything that we do as a church. Anything else that we can build our lives on or build our community on is unreliable and it is going to fail. It's only Christ. And another thing that we see in the story of this Ephesian church is that the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Uh, there's this result of, of this, this powerful ministry uh, that, that takes place through Paul and the disciples. And uh, verse 17 says that fear fell upon them all, the people of Ephesus, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled or, or praised enthusiastically. And this was after the story in verse 11 where uh, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. And you'd think, wow, Paul, what a man. But no, that wasn't the, their reaction. They were saying, Jesus is amazing. Jesus is awesome. His name was extolled. Paul and the disciples made it very clear that if there was anything miraculous taking place, if there was any power, it was not them. It was Jesus. He is the name that is worshipped. And, and Paul knew that. Paul wanted to build this church on that foundation. And he knew that the love for Christ, love for Jesus would be vital for that church. In fact, it's the very last thing that he says. It's the way he signs off his letter to the Ephesian church. Uh, Ephesians 6 verse 24, the very last thing he says is, grace be to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible, with a love that can't be corrupted. We live in the full grace of God when we start and we continue incorruptibly to live with genuine love for Jesus. And here is where another warning comes in for us. That letter, uh, that the book of Revelation that the Apostle John writes, there's seven letters from Jesus to various churches around Asia Minor, and one of those letters is to the church in Ephesus. It was written about 30 years later. And in Revelation 2, verse 2 to 5, Jesus says to this church, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. 
If not, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And that is a scary thought and it should scare us. It should sober us up. A church that can seem to be doing all the right things that, that was what the, the temple in Jerusalem was, was guilty of. They were doing all the rituals. They were doing all the things. But they can be toiling away. They can be, they can be contending for truth. They can even be suffering for the name of Jesus. But if it's done for any other reason other than the love of the name of Jesus, it's worthless. A church can even cease to exist. Jesus says he will remove the lampstand if you abandon your love for him. Why? Because it's his church. It's his bride. We can't co-opt the bride for anything else. It's, it's, it's a love relationship with the Savior. And it's so important that we take that to heart. Jesus is jealous for us. This rebuke was written to the Ephesian church about 40 years after the events of Acts 19, where the church was planted. This church, Cornerstone, we've just celebrated 40 years. It's so easy for us to just get on with the program. Let's never forget that we need to find our first love. Again, if that's, if that's any of us today and if we've abandoned the love that we had at first, by His grace, by His grace, Jesus offers us the same warning and the same opportunity to repent and the, cha- the same opportunity to come back to him, to find our first love. And he says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. So that is the first and the most important point. A base church is a church where Jesus is central and is foundational and where Jesus is loved and worshipped. And number two is that a base church is a church where discipleship takes place. And so Paul was doing that, but Paul was simply following the example of Jesus when he got to Ephesus. He wasn't only doing all the work of the ministry himself. He was vastly experienced. He, he probably could have done it all himself, but he knew it wouldn't have gotten very far. There wouldn't have been multiplication and continuity. And so he raised up others to do that work. The important work of discipleship starts with establishing people in the gospel message of Jesus and in the Holy Spirit so that there is assurance of your salvation. And they are living in its full benefit. Uh, In 19 verse 1 to 7, there's the story of how Paul interacts with those first 12 believers. And uh, he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they say that we didn't even know the Holy Spirit was here. And so in verse 5 to 6, he says, so he, he baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus, which was our first point. And then Paul lays his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. See, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, depending on your background or your church tradition, might be different or a bit weird for you at some times. But, but I want to say this, that the, the baptism and the empowering of the Holy Spirit is not about tradition. It's not about um, uh, what denomination you come from. It's, it's simply about looking at what the Bible says and demonstrates and just being obedient to that. Paul needed the baptism of the Spirit to be able to walk in his calling, even though vastly qualified as he was. 
Uh, Acts 9 verse 17 shows how uh, Ananias prays for him and prays that he will receive the Spirit. And he, he needed the, the filling of the Spirit before he was ever going to be able to operate in his calling. These 12 disciples needed to be baptized in the Spirit to be able to walk in their calling. And so I want to say, do we? We have a call from God. We have a part to play in displaying his glory to the earth. Good luck without the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a seal of our salvation. And that gives us a deep assurance of the saving work of Jesus in our lives. And he empowers us to walk in the call and the plan that God has for us. Later on, when Paul writes to the Ephesian church, he reminds them of that first experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he says in Ephesians 1 verse 13, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He says the same thing to the Roman church later on in Romans 8 verse 14. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And that is how Paul dealt with those first Ephesian believers. And this is vital for us too if we are to operate effectively as a base church. Another way we see how Paul discipled the church is by forming kingdom culture among those disciples. In verse eight to 10, Paul spends three months in the synagogue and he says he spoke boldly reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Then obviously that offended people, so he got chucked out of the synagogue and he rented the afternoon slot at a, at a lecture hall called the Hall of Tyrannus and he continued to do the same thing for another two years daily, says, so that, verse 10, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and and Greeks. And, and this is cool. Discipleship has both of these characteristics in it. We are impacted by the kingdom and the truth of the kingdom, and then that truth is mobilized through us into the life of every believer as we take the gospel out into the surrounding regions. This was relentless work for Paul. Paul was reasoning daily in the Hall of Tyrannus for two years, and he was having great impact, not only on the disciples there, but on the city of Ephesus and then out into the whole of Asia. And it also crossed cultural barriers. He says this was between both Jews and Greeks. And there's no way that Paul could do that on his own. That's, there's no way you can imp impact a whole region. There's no internet. <laughs> there's no, there no way of broadcasting himself. The, the word of God had to go out through the people. And I wanna argue that even though today we have the internet, that's still how God wants to operate. It's through bringing his message and his word through his people. And he did that because Paul was raising, uh, recognizing, and releasing leaders. He recognized those first 12 disciples, and then it was along with them and the disciples that he made from the synagogue, as well as those who were raised up through his work at the Hall of Tyrannus, who went out spreading the word into all of Asia. 
And Paul carried on doing this even after he left Ephesus. Many years after planting that church, Paul continued raising up those disciples and encouraging them to walk in their calling. Ephesians 2.10, he writes that we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. He encourages them. God's got plans for you. He still has plans for you. Stand up, walk in them. And even later on in his ministry, Paul sends his true son in the faith, a a guy named Timothy, a young man named Timothy that he's raised up, and he sends him to this church in Ephesus to lead that church. And he emphasized the same principle to Timothy when he writes to him. And he says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And if you can see this in Paul, he's talking about four generations of faithfulness. He's saying from me, Paul, to Timothy, to faithful men, and then on to others also. That's God's plan. That's how the word of God gets out into entire regions and covers the whole world. It's by faithfulness. If the band can start coming up, and have an opportunity to respond to this. Paul knew that the only way to continue and to multiply the work of the ministry was to recognize, raise, and release leaders. And that's what base churches do. That's what we do as a base church. That's why we just ordained a whole bunch of new deacons uh, to, to walk in their calling so that they can help you to walk in your calling. Uh, that's why we have life groups. That's why I want to encourage you, just like Greg did, uh, to, if you're not part of a life group, find one. Find those new guys that just stood up here, speak to them, say, I'm joining. I want to walk in my call. I want to live in all that God has for me. It's, it's one of the easiest ways, being part of a life group, to get integrated and functioning in this church. And it's a place where you can find and you can work out your calling, both here in the local church, but also out into the world, into your workplaces and into your families. And this is the key to discipleship, is that we are discipling others while we are also being discipled. There's this generational uh, aspect to discipleship. And that's the part of the, the Great Commission. That's what Jesus says, go and make disciples. He says, go. We, we, we often hear the word go, but the making disciples, that's vital. Because how are we to continue going? And we make disciples of Jesus, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. So those are our first two characteristics of a base church, is that Jesus is in the middle and the, the foundation and the heart of everything and that people are being discipled. Will you stand with me? Um, while I was preparing this message, I felt like God wanted to put his uh, call out to a couple of different groups of people this morning. Maybe you realize that, that you've, you're in that place where you're just doing stuff for God. You've, you've gotten into the routine. You're an experienced church campaigner. But maybe you realize that you're in a place where you've lost your first love. I believe that Jesus, just like, like he did with the Ephesian church, he wants to offer the opportunity to respond and repent. 
Come back to the passion that you had when Jesus first saved you. Come back to the place where Jesus is central in everything that you do. You come to Jesus this morning. Maybe you're in a place where you've never even experienced that first love ever before. You've, you've, you've heard of the love of Jesus. You hear about the saving power of Jesus. For the first time this morning, I want to say, come to Jesus. He is powerful. He will save you. He will love you. Or maybe you're just unsure. You're not sure of your salvation. You can't cry out, Abba, Father. You don't have that kind of relationship with God. You've never experienced the seal of assurance that comes by his Holy Spirit, and you want to, you want that. Jesus taught that God is a good Father, and he will give his Spirit to anyone who asks. So we come to Jesus with a heart of faith this morning and ask. And maybe, last group of people, you realize that you've, you've just been attending church. You, you, you're seeing this as a place for spiritual growth, something for yourself to consume. But you realize, actually, God's got a plan for me. God's got a purpose for me, and it's to give, it's to contribute. It's to display His glory to the world. And you want to walk fully in your calling. You want to stand up, and you want to contribute to a church that exists for others and displays God's glory to the world. Just while we're singing now, we'll have a couple of elders and deacons up front. Let's just sing, let's respond to Jesus, uh, and we'd love to pray with you. We'd love, uh, we'd love to just take you on that next step as you respond to him. Jesus is faithful, he's good, uh, and he's building his church.